Hey, Mark, you know I've been spending a lot more time in Denmark recently. Yeah, the uh, bakery date uh, is in the calendar still. Well, it being a Nordic country uh, and everything, I found the perfect solution to streaming all those lovely films and TV shows that we review whilst I'm there. Well, what on earth would that perfect solution be, Simon? Well, Nord VPN, of course. You see, it's Nord Nordic. Yeah, no, no, yeah. It's I get it. Moving on. With one click, NordVPN can change my device's virtual location so I can access all the content I need when I'm abroad. I can now watch poor things, whether in London or Paris. Why even wait until you're on holiday? You can do it right now and access content in over 61 different countries, unlocking all this content for less than a price of a Pano Raisin a month. Pano Raisin. Pano Raisin. To take our huge discount huge. off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com take. Our link will also give you four extra months for free on the two-year plan. Now, back to the show. Thank you very much. Here. Here. What? I'm just like a mile away. Hello, good evening. Who is here from Showbiz North London? Who has travelled further than London? Who has travelled further than England? Who has travelled further than the UK? Okay, who's from outside of Europe? Okay. I don't know where they're going. <laughs> Who's here from... There's a militant fist in the air just then from outside <laughs> Europe. Well, it's, uh, you're all very welcome. Thank you very much indeed for coming. Welcome to a live take. This is Mark Kermode. <laughs> and this is Ken Bruce, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, Mark is already lost. It's page eight, by the way. We're already. Are we already how can we already be on page eight? Because the first this. seven pages are never used. They're kind of like showbiz waffle. Okay. Are we literally on page eight? Yeah. Oh, okay. Go. <laughs> yeah, everyone thinks it's a joke. Mark can't read a script, and then they go, "Oh, Mark can't read a script." Mark literally can't read. Literally a script. can't read a script. Okay, fair enough. So let, let's find out precisely what is uh, happening uh, in the next six hours uh, that we're going to be. <laughs> That we're going to be uh, here. Mark, as far as you're concerned, what's coming up? Well, handily, because I have the script in front of me, Simon, I'm six. able to say that we're going to be reviewing uh, Master Gardener, which is a new film by Paul Schrader. Hypnotic, which is a new film starring Ben Affleck. In a very on, when you said hypnotic like that, it, it sort of implied that we were supposed to respond in some way. Would you like to try? Yes. Okay, so the thing with hypnotic is it's all about having the power of the mind. <laughs> Yeah, you can do that. So, okay, so. Ben Affleck in Hypnotic. Ooh. Okay, that's good. That's, that's actually very good. And then Gallows Pole, which is coming to TV with our very special guests. Yes, uh, well, we have Shane Meadows coming on the show. BAFTA, <laughs> BAFTA winning director and actor. Sophie McShera, who's one of the stars. They're both going to be here. Also, there'll be, a, by popular demand, a special edition of the Laughter Lift, which is now, of course, the Laughter Pulpit. It's, it's already getting a titter. Very good. I told you it'd be good. Uh, has everyone got uh, stuff on their seats to eat? Okay, I just want to check that before we proceed. Normally, um, page seven, Mark. Normally, we don't approve of popcorn, um, or rather, Mark doesn't approve of 
popcorn. But we are making an exception this evening. Yes, popcorn has been provided by our friends at the Rooftop Film Club. You may remember hearing about Rooftop Here Film Club are. in the take last year. Next oh, is that me now? Yes. Okay, fine. <laughs> well, you like the unique cinema experience... <laughs> Hang on. You enjoyed the unique cinema experience so much that they would like to offer you two-for-one tickets to their London sites every Wednesday for the whole of their summer programme. Making up for it now. Uh, just quote the promo code THETAKE at payment and you could be taking a friend to see anything from cult films to classics to new releases, all the while soaking up some of London's iconic views in comfy deck chairs with more great snacks like popcorn. And we have a big announcement about a special weekend in August soon, so keep listening to the podcast for more on that. What is, what is the big announcement? It's not written down. Okay. But it is a big <laughs> it announcement? It is a big announcement. Okay. Uh, you go to rooftopfilmclub.com or scan the rather conveniently placed QR codes on your popcorn boxes. It says here now, but I feel that'd be distracting, so maybe later. Use the promo code THETAKE to get 241 two-for-one two tickets one. every... <laughs> 241. It says 241. I know, and I did that last week, and you laughed at me. I know. Every Wednesday this summer, that went very well. This is so professional. Hey, Mark. Hey, Simon. All that is very well, but just before... Apparently there's a break coming. Anyway, just before the break, you know what's real? Family. <laughs> Everyone, what's real? No, way too high. Come on now. If you're going to do this, it goes to the family. It has to be. How low does it have to go? It goes, family. Also, it's got a B in it. Okay, family. <laughs> okay. Okay. Basso profundo is. Basso what profundo. Mean. Okay. Everybody. Okay. Ready? What's real? <laughs> is that good enough? Could be. I think it could be growlier. Okay. Just up up there. Uh, just in the stalls. Okay. What's real? Downstairs. That's closer. Was that better? That was better. Okay. Downstairs, what's real? Okay, we get, we get it. That's very good. <laughs> this may well uh, reoccur later on because you know, you know, Top Gun Maverick is. <laughs> exactly. And we'll be reviewing Hypnotic. Anyway, the, uh, the family thing is, of course, from Fast and Furious 7, which nobody can deny is certainly one of the Fast and Furious franchises. <laughs> We'll be back after this. Well, hello there. Simon and Mark here to tell you about Indeed. Yes, Indeed is driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, then you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data. And if you're busy watching all of this week's film recommendations and you have no time, then you can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. But Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 75% of employers claim Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other online job sites. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, 
Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets, like us. Why not join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast? Listeners of this show will get a £100 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Kermode Mayo. That's Indeed.com slash Kermode Mayo. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Indeed. This episode is brought to you by the curated streaming service Movie. Mark, for our wonderful listeners who already have a movie account, and for those who might be thinking about getting one, could you please tell us what films they can enjoy this May? Certainly, Simon. This month, Movie are launching their Cannes Takeover. You know how much I love Cannes. And in honour of the Cannes Film Festival, which kicks off this month, here is a selection of what they have available to stream in the UK. They have Annette, which is the Leos Carax musical, with uh, music by Sparks, which is absolutely wonderful, and Tokyo Gar, which is the film by uh, German director Wim Wenders who travels to Tokyo to explore the world of one of his cinematic heroes Yasujiro Ozu. That's Mubi's Can Takeover series. What else? Well there's also Voila Varda which is a look back on some of the best of the famous French director. There's Cleo from 5 to 7, Le Bonheur, Vagabond, The Gleaners and I and The Beaches of Agnes. You can try Mubi free for 30 days at mubi.com slash Kermit That's M-U-B-I dot com slash Kermit for a whole month of great cinema for free. So, uh, <laughs> we're back. We enjoyed those ads. What's real? Mark that actually, that sounded like porridge. Is it family? All right. Gratty. Um, can I just ask, how many people here might have seen something from the top ten? I know I haven't gone through the top ten. But, you know, the, the Fast and the Furious and the Super Marios and the Guardians of the Galaxy. Put your hands up if you Well, actually, for, and for everyone listening, just shout oi if you have. Oi! Okay, so there's quite a few. So Maybe. we may well be coming to you when we do the box office top ten. Um, before we go any further, Mark needs to do a review, very importantly. Uh, tell us something that is out which we might want to go and see. This is a kind of peculiar thing to do this in a, in a sort of big hall. But, so, <clears throat> Master Gardener, which is the new film from Paul Schrader, who worked with Scorsese, wrote Taxi Driver, had big mainstream directorial success with uh, American Gigolo and Cat People, and then later on had a kind of independent career, which included some great moments, um, Autofocus, which I really like. He also directed The Exorcist prequel, Dominion, a prequel to The Exorcist, which is absolutely terrible, and a film uh, called The Canyons, which is even worse than The Exorcist prequel. And then he kind of got it back together again with First Reform. So this is, this is in the, the sort of later independent period of, uh, of Paul Schrader's uh, career. This film premiered at Venice last year, cost around five million, so we're solidly in the indie film bracket. Um, Joel Edgerton is Narvel Roth, that really is his name. He's a horticulturalist at Gracewood Gardens Estate, which is owned by the dowager Norma Haverhill, who is played by Sigourney Weaver, whom he serves in more ways than one. Here is a clip. Mm, that was quite a scorching. I don't know what I was thinking. You can't spreadsheet nature. It'll only surprise you. They'll recover in the gate garden. Mm, more beautiful than ever. For the visitors, there'll be a moment. Mr. Roth? We got a message from the Grayswood House. Miss Haverhill would like you to drop by. When? Whenever you have a chance, nothing urgent. <laughs> we all know what that means. So he goes off to see the lady of the house, which is who's Sigourney Weaver, who 
they're sort of having a thing, and she says, I have a grandniece who has had some trouble in her life. What I want you to do is to take her on as an apprentice. He's not initially very impressed by that, but she says, look, I want you to do it. So he says, okay, it's clear that he doesn't have any choice. This is Quintessa Swindell, he's playing, uh, uh, he's playing Maya. She turns up and she has problems in as much as she has kind of drug-related issues which bring with them a whole bunch of baggage. He also has problems. His problem was that in the not-too-distant past, he was a neo-Nazi and he's absolutely covered from head to foot in swastika tattoos. <laughs> hmm. But now, as is the manner of so many Paul Schrader movies, he's kind of got over that by spending a lot of time sitting at a desk, writing things in a notebook, doing a voiceover on the film of his life, talking very, very quietly, and controlling plants, which it soon becomes obvious that what this is, is the gardening is a metaphor for controlling the world. You know, gardens have to be kept and tended and in order for them to grow in the right way. So the rest of the film plays out very much like most of Paul Schrader's movies, very male, very angsty, very, you know, guilt in the background, lots and lots of God's lonely man stuff, and it's fine, the performances are good, he's very, very good, uh, Sigourney Weaver pretty much never puts a foot wrong. The problem with it is that if you, if you have seen any Schrader films, and the chances are most of you have, you go, yeah, I know how this story goes, but it's going very slowly, and there are some beautiful, take this in the spirit in which it's intended, some lovely plants. <laughs> some really, really genuinely lovely plants. And some good performances. In that order? In that order. <laughs> so, it's, I mean, it's, if you compare it to, for example, The Canyons, which was a, just an absolute catastrophic car crash of a movie, it's on, the, it's on the right side of the dividing line. I mean, there's a weird thing with Schrader, which is, he made the prequel to The Exorcist, Dominion, and then the people who were funding it thought it was so boring that they wouldn't release it. What they would actually do is get Rennie Harlan in to make an action prequel, which they made, and it was so stupid, it was actually worse than the Schrader version, which then got released, and everybody said, oh, the Schrader version is actually really elegant. It isn't. It's incredibly boring. So, at his best, he does very good kind of angsty, you know, men worrying about life and all the rest of it. And at his worst, he does that, but very slowly. But there are some nice flowers. <laughs> that feels as though that's sort of slightly disappointing. Well, you know, it's, it's kind of what you expect. And as I said, it has got good performances in it. Hey, it's Ben Bailey Smith here, Substitute Taker, and this episode is brought to you by Better Help. Now, a lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. If I had an extra hour slotted into my day, I'd actually get through a question, questions. You know, it's I can never quite fit the extra shows in. We all live busy lives these days, and everything seems to move at 100 miles an hour. So how do we know what to make room for? Like, how do we know what's really important when our lives are happening so quickly? Therapy can help you find what matters to you. And if you know what matters to you, you can do more of it. And isn't that why we're really here? So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. With over a thousand therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise. And our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash kermode. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash kermode.
So we just wanted to tell you about what our friends at Rooftop Film Club are up to. As you know, they are London's king of outdoor cinema. More than just a movie with rooftop experiences located at Bussy Building in Peckham and Roof East in Stratford. Sit back, relax, get cosy in a blanket and use the QR code on your seat to have food and drink delivered directly to you. They're playing all the award-winning films like Past Lives, Anatomy of a Fall, All of Us Strangers, but also classics like Interstellar, When Harry Met Sally, and more recent films like Challengers and Fall Guy. Rooftop Film Club offers memberships for as little as £25 per month. That's not all. As a Vanguard Easter, you get two-for-one tickets on a Wednesday with the code THETAKE24. That's T-H-E-T-A-K-E. 24. Visit rooftopfilmclub.com. Uh, right, box office top 10. The only thing is, I walked on with the top 10 and now I've lost the top 10. Top Have you got 10. my top 10? Have I got it? I've got, there'll, be a, there'll, be a top, there'll be a top 10 in here somewhere. I'm sure Simon Paul can find one faster than I can. There it is. Thanks very much. I knew it was somewhere. So, um, when we get to a movie that you've seen, if you shout oi, we might be able to get a microphone to you and you do a pithy one sentence, couple of sentences on the movie. Do we want a speech? We don't want a speech. We don't want a, we don't want a full Commodian review. We just need a pithy line or two. Yeah. Okay. So box office top 10. At number 45, the other fellow. Me? Or them? You. Okay. Yeah, it's... It's a much more interesting film about people called James Bond than you would expect it to be. Number 33, Nam June Pike, Moon is the oldest TV. Which is great. I didn't know anything about Nam June Pike at all until I saw this documentary. And at the end of it, I felt like I knew a lot more. And it was really, really entertaining. And he did basically invent the information superhighway. Number 20, Local Hero, 40th anniversary. I mean, you know, Local Hero is one of the greatest films ever made. 40 years later, it hasn't dated at all. The Mark Knopfler score is still one of the greatest uh, modern film scores. And, of course, it's one of the earliest screen performances of Peter Capaldi, which it's just, if you haven't seen Local, I'm sure most of you have, if you haven't seen it on a big screen, go and see it on a big screen. It so deserves to be seen projected. It's wonderful. And it contains one of my favourite movie lines of all time, which is, yes, and are there two Gs in bugger off? (laughs) And who says that line? It's one of the sailors on the side of the thing when he's trying to get him to do a silver dollar. Excellent. Uh, so that's at number 20 and back in the cinema. Uh, number 10 is Love Again. Which I haven't seen. James King has. They didn't offer the press screen it to me, uh, which I'm kind of slightly offended by, and he said it was okay. Right, so that's like... Has anyone else seen Love Again? It's just James King. It's, the thing is, it's like, literally, <laughs> one person. the poster for it looks like a poster for Love Actually, in which they've just taken the word actually out and put again in it. It's the same font, it's the same everything. And number nine is The Unlikely Pilgrimage of Harold Fry. Okay. Very yeah. keen. Where's our stand-up man in there. a T-shirt? Can we get a microphone to the man in a T-shirt? The roving mic is coming to you. First of all, who are you? Uh, hello, I'm Lewis. And in one sentence. Uh, really good stories. As a fellow Exonian, I thought it was great to see Exeter on uh, a British film and on the big screen. Also, by the way, uh, the good lady, tell the good lady professor I say thanks. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's very nicely done. Num- can, I just, can I just summarize? The, the, the best thing about the pilgrimage of Harold Fry is that you get to see Exeter. Yeah. <laughs> Wow! <laughs> Plants in one movie, X in the other. Yes. 
And number eight is 2018, which again, which I haven't because it wasn't press screen to us. Has anyone seen 2018? Not even James King. <laughs> number seven is Evil Dead Rise. That, okay, many always. Put your hand up. Gentlemen there with glasses. Uh, there you go. Yes, sir. Um, yeah, lots Who of are you? At Lee. Thank you. Um, lots of gore, more gore, lots of nods to the Evil Dead. All right. <laughs> That's what we need. That's a five-star review. <laughs> Number six is Book Club, the next chapter. Mm. I didn't come out of Book Club thinking, you know, I really need a next chapter. <laughs> and, yet, and yet somehow, you know, they've reunited the cast. They've done the standard thing with the sequel. What do we do now? Let's send them to abroad. So they go to abroad, which is Rome and Venice. And, and, and it's utter, utter rubbish, but it's kind of nice, saccharine, sweet rubbish, and with all the stuff that's going on at the moment, you know, you might think, what stuff is that? Well, you know, like, like home secretaries trying to get their speeding fines reduced and all that sort of, oh, you know, yeah. you just think, you just think, I might, I don't know whether they're hissing me or they're hissing the, the home secretary, <laughs> but you know, yeah, it's, it's rubbish, but you might want rubbish. So what's the first rule of book club? Oh, very good. Don't make, don't yeah, make yeah, another yeah, yeah. one. Uh, number five, Bo is Afraid. Bo is Afraid. Who's seen Bo is Afraid? Well, if they have, they're slightly embarrassed about it. <laughs> uh, gentleman there. Okay, going towards the back. Yes, sir, who are you? Uh, my name's James. Yes, James. Uh, and uh, I, I sent in an email uh, with a three-word review. It might get edited out, but uh, it really testes my patience. Very good. I like it. It was short. Um, I've got an email here on this. Mark and Simon, one of the strangest films I've ever experienced. Probably on a par with Alex Garland's Men. Oh, my goodness me. <laughs> From last time we were here. I enjoyed Ari Aster's previous films. This one is not quite full-on out there like Hereditary and Midsommar, but it is so strange and so bizarre that I just had a blast. It's crazily creative. I laughed out loud on more than one occasion. It's so visually abstract all over the place and deeply, if not weirdly profound, although I think it's a bit too long, mm-hmm, and kind of drags out at points, mm-hmm. But Whacking Phoenix made the journey all the more unforgettable, not to mention to people sitting next, this is all one sentence, not to mention people sitting next to me seemed to enjoy it as much as me, comma, they were laughing louder than me, comma, they were invested in what's going on and they wanted to see what was going to happen although they did talk many times during the film, comma, but it was nice to see people actually get engaged by indie films, comma, especially strange ones like Bo is Afraid, probably not for everyone, but if ever, people want to go and see the strange side of it, this is a good one, exclamation mark. One sentence, a one sentence review, which went on forever. I have to tell you, if you go and see Bo is Afraid, none of you will get the perfect experience of the film, which I did, was that we saw it in a screening room, uh, and the only people in the screening room were me, Simon, and uh, Sophie from the show, and I was sitting in the row in front of you. And it is very, very, it's three hours long, and it's a number of sections, and some sections are funnier than others. But I could feel Simon not liking the movie. You know, in that way that you can, you can actually sort of feel. And yeah. then we get into one bit, which is towards the end. It's the kind of, it's the whole thing. The whole thing can kind of be summarized as, what if your mother could hear all those unspeakable things you tell your therapist? And towards the end, I laughed and he didn't. 
And because he didn't laugh, I laughed again. And the more he didn't laugh, the funnier the film became. I was in tears of laughter towards the end of it. You were definitely Simon was turning not. into stone. Something about being in a church that makes you exaggerate the, your stories enormously. Uh, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. Number four. Okay, who's the, who is the woman who shouted? No, right, right at the back. Okay. Thank you. Microphone coming to you. Who are you, first of all, please? Uh, I'm Kate from Canterbury. Thank you. And uh, your thoughts on Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Um, I saw it last night. I thought it was a perfect film. I absolutely loved it. Thank I, you. I read all of Judy Bloom when I was younger, and uh, yeah, excellent adaptation. Were you slightly nervous about going to see, because you loved the book so much, were you slightly nervous about going to see the movie version? Not, not really. It was a last-minute thing, because I found out we have a one-year-old. Last minute, I found out that I had a free pass to go to an early showing. And I read all of Judy Bloom, but I don't remember it that well, because I was a lot younger. Um, so I just, yeah, but I thought the music and the performances were just brilliant. I just loved it. The, the, the thing that it reminded me of, which you loved, is Catherine called Birdie. And it, so it's, again, it's a, you know, it's a film about adolescence and coming of age and the pain of all that stuff but it's so funny and engaging and frank and it's doing this you know it's dealing with uh, all the problems of growing up and it's not in any way embarrassed about being you know open about uh, certain subjects that cinema is very squeamish about the performances are great she's absolutely fantastic absolutely and the best thing about it is that I think people who love the book I mean, it's taken 50 years for the book to get to the screen, and I do think a lot of people are thinking it can't possibly measure up to the book, but I, I've heard so many people say, I love the book and I love the film. So I thought it was great, absolutely great. That's it, number four. Number three, Super Mario Brothers, the movie. Oh, someone from... <laughs> was that you with your Princeton sweatshirt? Okay, can we... It's our first contribution. So you can just shout from there, everyone will hear him. <laughs> First contribution from stage left. There we go. Yes, sir. Hi, um, I'm Miguel from Baltimore. Oh, well, you're very welcome. And um, I thought it was the perfect film for anybody who loved uh, playing Mario games growing up, and Jack Black deserves an Oscar for his rendition of Peaches. Wow. Thank you. Peaches, 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 peaches. How, how, that's the song he sings. He sings a song about Princess Peach and it literally goes, Peaches, 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 Peaches. Uh, number two, Guardians of the Galaxy, volume three. As uh, a woman there not only shouted oi, but has her hand up. Just to emphasize the fact that, please, it has to be me. Who, who uh, are you, please? Oh, uh, so my name's Jenny. Hello, Jenny. Um, so yeah, I thought it was a baggy, loose 150 minutes, but good characters, darker and more emotional than I was expecting, and also Will Poulter is just hilarious. Thank you. Can I ask you a question? Yes. Will Poulter is hilarious, but didn't you think that character was completely superfluous? Yes, it, was, it added to the bagginess. Yeah. It didn't need it, but I liked it. And second it. thing, did you cry during the, the Rocket vivisection backstory stuff? Yeah. 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 Who, <laughs> knew, who knew that a Guardians of the Galaxy movie could make you cry? Yeah. Oh, and, and Nathan Fillion is awesome, as always. Yeah. Thank you very much. If Thank fleeting. You. A round of applause. Very good. Thank you. And number one is Fast X. <laughs> Fast 10. Fast 10, your seatbelts. All right. You know what's real? 
Yeah, who had a uh, hand up there? Okay, yes, a uh, gentleman looks as though he might be a contrib contributor to Newsnight. Yes, sir. Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you, I'll bear that in mind. Uh, my name is Jack, firstly, family. Uh, and secondly, I think I just enjoy the fact that Vin Diesel's clearly in a different film than everybody else and doesn't know that it's all a big joke. It's ridiculous, but I, I love it for what it is. An email here from um, Ollie Joy. Dear Jason Statham and Momoa, I saw Fast X in the Plymouth Cineworld on Saturday night in Mark's favorite medium, 4DX. <laughs> the film was appalling. <laughs> Dumb dialogue, a silly plot line, zero stakes, totally overblown, and cartoonish action, and wanton stupidity left, right, and center. If you told me the script had been written by ChatGBT, I would have believed you. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> I agree with Mark insofar as if you go back and watch this film, you must have a good idea of what to expect, so just sit back, relax, let it wash over you and have a good time would be my advice. If you find yourself struggling, maybe take in your alcoholic beverage of choice and make a family drink, making a drinking game out of the experience, having a chug every time someone says, family. Warning, you'll be slaughtered within 45 minutes. <laughs> I couldn't have relaxed if I wanted to, given that I was being flung around in my shaky, vibrating seat for the duration. <coughs> it was my first time experiencing 40X, and it was so much more brutal than I was expecting. <coughs> With my seat going nuts every time someone so much as slammed a car door. It went absolutely crazy during a sequence late in the film involving Vin Diesel, a car, and a large dam to the point where, between being thrown about our seats and blasted with air and water and the preposterous action sequence, my friends and I were crying with laughter. <laughs> Possibly not what the filmmakers were going for, but whatever, we enjoyed ourselves. Keep up the good work, up with a campaign for Jason Isaacs to nab a role in Fast 11. Ollie Joy, can I just say, this is going to be very frustrating and really, really annoying. Last week, Louis Leterrier was, was on the show, yeah. director, a, a delightful, charming gentleman, yeah. uh, explaining about how he got for the gap between him getting the call set from the head of Universal Pictures saying, can you direct this movie, to him saying action was three days. So that's extraordinary. Then at the end of the interview, when we stopped recording, he told me a casting decision for the next film. But he prefixed it by saying, just for you, now. He was... <laughs> Did you say, don't tell him Pike? <laughs> For our overseas attendees, it's a 70s dad's army reference. So I now feel, as, I now feel under pressure because Louis Leterrier told me, but he said it was just for me. You haven't told me. I know it was just for me. <laughs> just mouth it. No, 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 because no, I don't trust the mouth. I'll tell you at half time, okay. and then okay. we'll see what we do with the. Uh... Okay, but so it was intriguing. Is it? A, is it a good? Is it? Did, did it? Did it surprise you? Uh, if you look at Louis Leterrier's back catalogue, it won't surprise you. It won't surprise you. you. Okay, fine. That's too. So much. it's Liam Neeson then. <laughs> Again. I mean, it's just maths. No. <laughs> Sanjeev Pascal. Oh, right. Okay. Fine. <laughs> 
What did he say? What did he say? Anyway, so uh, it's dumb. Okay. Are you with Ollie Joy? It's appalling, dumb dialogue, silly plotline. I really enjoy yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, okay, there's a scene in the, in the, the new Fast X or Fast 10 you'll see, but which they did miss a trick then, in which there's a plane with a car in it, and the car jumps out of the plane, backs out of the plane, falls from a height much higher than this building, hits the, 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 the floor, running, still going, as opposed to what would actually happen, which would just go, and then that would be it still going, and then two helicopters fire strings down into it, and then they lift it back up again. So it's in the air, it's on the ground, it's in the air, and then it goes off the dam and it turns into a submarine. And the thing about it is that it's disappointing because in the previous film they put a rocket on a car and sent two of the cast members into space. Okay. So it's like, you know, yeah, it's fun, but like what short of literally blowing up the moon in the next, what are they going to are do? Are you saying it's not real? Because, Mark, do you know what's real? Family. There you go. To be continued, I suspect. Uh, we'll bring you some guests in just a moment, but uh, let's do another movie review, please. Okay, so you may have seen the posters for this, or you may have seen the, the, the trailers for it. So, Hypnotic. <laughs> On the FDA list, which is the Film Distributors Association, for weeks, this film was listed as Hypontnik. And we did actually think that it was a film called Hypontnik. And when it That's turned out it was just called Hypnotic, it was a bit of a disappointment. So it's Robert Rodriguez who's done, you know, Dust Till Dawn and Planet Terror. So Ben Affleck is Danny Rourke, who is a detective who is haunted by memories of his daughter's abduction. And uh, somebody was uh, caught for it, but they, they said that they were, uh, they were not guilty due to mental incapacity because they couldn't remember anything about it. Ben's character thinks this is a ruse until he finds himself up against a master criminal who appears to have incredible powers of influence over everyone around him. Next thing you know, he's talking to a psychic, played by Alice Braga, and she then tells him that actually what's going on is much more mysterious than he had imagined due to the power of the mind. Have a listen to a clip. What makes four total strangers pull off an elaborate bank heist? On a whim. I'm guessing you're gonna say Lev Del Rey. Why don't you tell me who he is? What does he have on these people? Are you familiar with the concept of hypnotic constructs? <laughs> Look, lady, come on. First it's uh, fortune telling, and it's hypnosis. It's not hypnosis. Hypnotics have abilities far beyond anything we have a name for. Hypnotics. People with the ability to actually influence the brain over a psychic bandwidth. Like telepathy? Telepaths just read the mind. Hypnotics reshape its reality. The guy at the bank. You said he spoke four words to a woman in she undressed. Because she was in on it. No. Those were cues. Sound, voice, locking eyes. Hypnotics use them to make you see a version of the world that doesn't exist. Well, that sounded rubbish. So, <laughs> brilliant Basil exposition performance. Two things. Firstly, within that clip, hypnotics have powers long beyond anything we have a word for. You have a word for it, hypnotics. You literally just said it. <laughs> Other supremely overripe and yet somehow soft-boiled lines include 
pain can keep the mind awake, useful during a screening. <laughs> a moment in which Ben Affleck says with a straight face, he erased his own mind? <laughs> and my own personal favorite, he was already dead, I set him free. Now, the thing is, that, that, so what happens is, so it's like somebody went, okay, we'll have a bit of Inception, we'll have a bit of Memento, we'll have a bit of Philip K. Dick, I liked a bit of Total Recall, a little bit of Memento there. Um, get my son to do with sort of, there's a score, which is by Rebel Rodriguez, who is Robert Rodriguez's son. And there are moments in it in which it does a sort of sub-inception thing, and you know it's doing a sub-inception thing because the score does a kind of sub-Hans Zimmer honk to tell you that we're trying to do Inception. And it's one of those films when, for a lot of it, it's all lit like a scene from a, you know, Greg Dark straight-to-video erotic thriller. Everything is red lights, green lights, blue lights, red lights, green lights, blue lights, and then suddenly, at one point, there's a plot reveal, and everything goes white. It's like, oh, they've shone a light on this mysterious plot, but it still doesn't make any sense at all. And if you've ever seen, you know, any kind of uh, psychological thriller in which the whole idea is you don't know what's real, hmm, you don't know what's real, maybe, maybe everything is happening in, you know, in the mind, you go, okay, well, that's kind of interesting as long as you're sort of fundamentally invested in the central idea about it's not real, it's in the mind. I mean, when we saw Inception together, you know, Inception is an incredibly, uh, th that conceit, which is everyone falls asleep on a plane and they somehow get inside the dreams of each other. And, they, and at one point, one of the characters says, sorry, whose dream are we in now? But it's not stupid, it actually works. Well, in the case of this, it's just stupid. <laughs> now, that's not to say it's not fun. It's really good fun to see Ben Affleck do that, you know, I'm, go I'm going to look sad by closing my eyes and going, <laughs> And I'm going to look tough by opening my eyes and going, mm. and then at one point he has to say, you mean I have powers now? And you go, no, that was the previous, that was the Batman film. <laughs> There's an entertaining moment in it in which somebody attempts to pull their own hand off. And then, and then because, because of the way that it's all, you know, it's power of the mind, they have shootouts which consist of two people staring at each other and then shooting themselves in the foot. I would be lying if I said I didn't enjoy it. I mean, the, the question is, I don't know how funny it's meant to be. But I thought it was very funny. And funnier still that I don't know how funny. 94 minutes as well, 94 minutes. So, absolute tripe. But actually quite fun. Hello, it's William and Jordan here from Help, I Sexted My Boss. And next Tuesday, our show at the London Palladium will be streamed live into cinemas. So if you want anything full of laughs and outrageous problems and dilemmas, then come along and join us on the big screen. Help, I Sexted My Boss live is showing everywhere and everyone's welcome. Go to sexedmyboss.com slash cinema to get your tickets now. That's sexedmyboss.com slash cinema. 
John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. The Daily Show podcast has everything you need to stay on top of today's news and pop culture. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition, wherever you get your podcasts. Our first guests uh, today are BAFTA-winning director-screenwriter Shane Meadows, joined by actress Sophie McSherrod, Daisy Mason, Downton Abbey. Shane has directed The Gallows Pole, Sophie stars as Grace, you're going to see a clip in a moment, but first of all, welcome them to the stage, please. Shane Meadows, Sophie McShera. You can get to the... I, I feel as though... Welcome, first of all. Thank you. Thank you. So, introduce us, Shane, to, to Gallows Pole, because it's a, it's a fascinating story. We don't associate, associate with, with period drama particularly. So, this is a TV series, got three episodes, Gallows Pole. Introduce us to the world that you've set up here. Yeah, so I was, I was about to start working on my next project after The Virtues and was starting on a completely different project. Um, and as I was going down to have a meeting about that, this book landed on my, my doormat. My agent had sent me this book through and I opened it up and there was a letter and, and it was the book, The Gallows Pole. And I read the back of the cover and it was like the biggest crime in British history. And, you know, you're kind of going... I've never heard of that. I've never heard about these coin counterfeiters, King David Hartley, Queen Grace Hartley, these, these people that basically, just at the turn of the Industrial Revolution, when they were on their arse, this community in West Yorkshire, um, turned to counterfeiting coins to be able to feed themselves initially. And then, obviously, the greed started to take over and it became a gigantic operation and nearly shut down the Bank of England in its climax. And how do they counterfeit the coins? Just to explain what happened. Yeah, so it, clipping is, you would take, because coins were made of a precious metal and based on sort of weight, they were you know, made with gold, um, what people start to do, coins would have bits chopped off them and cut off them. They were very crude. Um, clipping had gone on for centuries, but David Hartley, um, was able to take, with, with incredible skill, to take just the very edge, three, four, five percent off the edge of a coin, remill the edge, and then every 10 to 15 coins that he'd clipped, he could then make a new fake, but it was solid gold. So they weren't fake coins, uh, they were, but they just weren't made by the Royal Mint, as it was at the time. So your main guy is David Hartley. All of these other people are the Cragvale coiners. Exactly. Yes. And that's the true story. David Hartley and the Cragvale coiners. Does sound like a folk band. Yeah. <laughs> but not in this case. Sophie, explain where, where you come into this story. So I play Grace Hartley, who was um, sort of there with David. We don't have much information on Grace because she's not in the book that much. So I didn't have as much to go on as um, Michael, who plays David. So it was kind of fun because I could create her however I wanted. Um, but yeah, she's an amazing character and uh, we just kind of wanted to put her back into the history because she's not in the story really. Um, so, but she was very much there. And when we filmed right by the graves of the two real people and they're buried there together and we'd go and look at the grave each morning before we started filming and we kind of wanted to do them proud. But yeah, I've no idea if I'm doing a good job because we don't know much about her. Why did you cast Sophie? 
in this, because the casting is an interesting story anyway, which I'd like you to explain a bit, but specifically going for Sophie. Um, Sophie, uh, sometimes you have um, your cast and sometimes you need to see people three, four, five times. Sometimes you try people a number of times and you're not sure who they're meant to be. But Sophie was one of those rare ones, which I describe as like a bottle of pop, the lid coming off, and she made everyone in the room wet with her fizz. It was... <laughs> she was like... It was, it was incredible. You have these people that come in, because what I'm looking for, because I improvise a lot, and the actors never have to learn lines. It doesn't mean it's easy, but what I'm always looking for are people that that brings something, this ability that Sophie always had, that rather than wanting to steal a scene, she always put herself into the scene and was honest in everything that she did. Um, and that, that was, it was, she came in and I remember it being one of those special days, a bit like where I met Woody for This Is England. He looked nothing like I thought Woody was gonna look, but I kind of went, he's just made himself Woody. And he's just one of those special, special people, special auditions. And she just kind of made it hers from the second she sort of sat down. But one of the things about the story is, because obviously at the centre of the story is that relationship, is there's the scene very early on when she does the whole thing about, this is what we're going to do, this is how it's going to happen, this how, and then she walks out and he goes, she's magnificent. And without giving anything away about episode three, there is a scene in episode three in which they're having not really a row, but at opposite sides of the door of the building about you can't walk this way, you've got to walk that way. That was one of my favourite row scenes I've ever seen. It's just so lovely. But can you tell us something about, because the whole point about their relationship is it's fractious, but you do like both of them in a weird way. Yeah, I love, I love the relationship that they've got. It's sort of like I was saying before that the, the, in the story, they've, um, it's been seven years he's been away and he disappeared in the middle of the night. And they were kind of kids, sort of childhood sweethearts. And he's just come back when you find the story. Um, but I think they're sort of stuck in arrested development and they don't know how to talk to each other. And they've got all these emotions and feelings and they just can't say it. And um, I, that was Shane's genius idea to put us, put a wall between us. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, it was, just, um, it was just a gift to be able to work with that scene. Um, I think Shane, you, you, would, you would like, you changed your mind on the day, didn't you? Yeah, well, I, I, because in the original, I write these things now called scriptments, which has got the word script in it, so it almost convinces people I've written a script, <laughs> but they're really short, and, uh, and then I just holiday. Um, but with Sophie, it, they, in the original scriptment for that episode, they were going to get back together, but that was before I'd kind of met Sophie, and I met Sophie, and I was just kind of like, well, not, no one's going to just start kissing someone two days after they've been away for seven years. I didn't want to get back with him. It was too <laughs> soon. It was but too I, soon. I came, into, I came off lunch and we were doing this scene later on and I knew they weren't going to get back together. But I was kind of, because, you know, with my stuff, I always just kind of go what feels right and real and we, we won't do it until it's ready. And I walked around the corner about two foot from David Hartley's grave. They were sat as far as two human beings could be apart from each other, yet touching little fingers. And I was kind of like, what's that? Well, like, like you're touching fingers, but you, you've got your arses about 30 foot apart. <laughs> and Michael said, we've fallen out. Um, Sophie's told me off for not looking at her. 
and we have to touch fingers. And I, and, and, and I, so I realized that Sophie was retraining Michael. <laughs> and I just kind of fell in love with what was going on live. And my dad was a driver on the job and would drive them into set every day. And was just kind of going, they're like Jack and Vera Duckworth, you know. <laughs> um, so it, it happened, it wasn't written like that. It came completely out of what was unfolding. Tell us about the rest of the cast, because you had open casting, and you obviously had a very clear idea about what you were, wanted it to sound like and what you wanted it to look like. Yeah, uh, we, we did. We, so we, we did these early casting sessions with maybe 10 people, 15 people, to start to build David and Grace and the gang. But then um, we, because it was COVID, we couldn't really get more than, I think we were restricted to having, you could never have more than five people sitting in a rehearsal space. And so we decided to do these open auditions because we knew if it's meant to be set in Yorkshire and we're casting everyone from Cornwall, putting on accents, it's not going to quite sit right. And so we, I, and as I, I love bringing new talent to the screen where possible. And so we put this call out thinking we might get a few, a few hundred people that maybe we're going to put tapes in. And we got 5,000 of these tapes to watch from people all Tape. over. Are they tapes? Yes, yeah, so, so they sent in like things off their phone and you know, and the first one was like, tell us a bit about yourself and, and these, I don't know whether it's just Yorkshire, but it was literally like every square, e e nearly every person that came on. And because of COVID, they had these kind of crazy hairdos and beards. And <laughs> you were writing to people going like, you know, first thing they wanted to come in, do not touch your face, don't touch your hair. Um, and um, what was incredible was because it wasn't an audition, I didn't realize it at the time, but it, if you imagine if you're not an actor, what you want to be, and you have to come down to London and walk into a room and have to perform, that's probably really scary. Yeah. Whereas they had the ability to re-record it as much as they wanted and send in what they were happy with. And it was, it was and I watched every single tape and, and 50 to 60% of the cast is made up of people that came through that process. We've got a clip, should we show yeah. a clip? Okay, so they're the words. We've set a tone, I think. Let's have a little clip from Gallus Paul. David, I don't want to talk to you about us tonight. Sorry, what was that, Grace? I don't want to talk to you about me and you. Right, well, I didn't come out to see thee. Right, well, you can't be out here because I'm out here. I'm having a minute. Well, we're doing the same, so... Well, I was here first, so... Can I walk past you, please? No! Go back inside. Well, there's a little seating area that I really enjoy sitting at, just Well, from... you can't go to that little seating area. You'll have to go the other way. Well, there's no seats down there. Well, go and stand and have five minutes. No, I'm going past you. I don't want you to go past me. Well, I am. breathing if you just sat just there it's too close I think I think it's worth a round of applause worth a round of applause Shane Meadows leading, leading the applause was there any part of you Sophie that thought I'm back in a costume again <laughs> although it's the 18th century not... yeah I was back in a corset but um, it's very 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 different to Downton um, it's, it's still storytelling, you know, it's the same sort of thing we're trying to get, but the freedom that you have with Shane, I just, oh, I love working in Shane's way. I even just watching that, I just remember, you just get to be so instinctive 
uh, and experimental and... Well, can you explain what you mean by that? Uh, because, because we're improvising and I'm not doing a version of a character. I'm not doing, I don't know, a powerful woman that is these things. I'm getting to be a complex person with all that comes with it um, without even thinking about it because you just get the opportunity to um, explore, I guess. Does it? Do some actors not like to work like that, Shane? Because it's a, it's a singular gift you're talking about. Yeah, it's it's kind of. There's some people that um, I think certain people that thrive um, in um, improvisation. Maybe that that you know they struggle in script and and it definitely. I've, I've worked with people you know without naming names over here where they think of improvisation is maybe swapping two words over. <laughs> and you kind of go, no, no, we're just going to throw it around a bit. Or you have, you have auditions sometimes where people come in and they want to show you that they can cry. And, and so they're improvising a scene where they're going to win a million pounds on the pools, but they want to show you. <laughs> that so they have this intention and that, you know, so you can, you can sort it. But, you know, so, Sophie obviously has the ability to do both. It's a very rare gift to be able to do both. One of the lovely things in the opening credits, because it's a period setting, you've done all the credits in sort of... So, for example, your credit is purveyor of scene and leadereth, which is Shane Meadows. Um, the, the, the cinematographer is Guardian of the Travelling Lamp. <laughs> and my favourite, which is the music credit, Most Wondrous Troubadours, Goat. <laughs> so tell us about the, about the music, because the music is great. Oh, it's got people bursting into song all the way through, and the song is really important to, the, to telling the story. So can you tell us something about that? Yeah, I mean, the, the Nicky Salto produced the show. I kind of felt like if we're going to go in, let's go all the way. And rather than just... Because so often now, because it says the, they're the same titles over and over again, we never read opening titles. You know, Succession comes on and you see them being really young in a mansion and you just go off and put the kettle on. Cause it, <laughs> so it's, there was something about if the names... Nick, Nicky Salt basically went into the Shakespearean dictionary yeah. and was putting in our jobs and just coming out with these incredible phrases. Um, so that's where that kind of came okay. from and, and we embraced it and thought, and weirdly, people are kind of reading it going, what, who, what do they do, you know? And so that was lovely. And then musically, I mean, it's, you wouldn't think psychedelic indie folk rock, you know, sort of would work in the 1700s, but I had an inkling it might do and started this um, playlist on Spotify because I only discovered Spotify and the world of them coming up with suggestions based on your suggestions around that time and started to build. It's got about 700 tunes in it now, but you would obviously, I'd build 30, 40 tunes and then people would come up. But I had been a big fan of Goat. And so I kind of, when, when I started to put the stuff together and their Goat music was sticking to the images like super glue, uh, we got in touch. Again, Nikki reached out to, um, to Goat. There obviously, no one knows who they are because um, they wear masks whenever they perform, but they reached out to go, and I was very lucky that This Is England had actually landed in Sweden, and they were a fan. And, uh, yeah, I met them on Zoom via the mask, and they, they did it in secret. And uh, I've got a question here from uh, Jason, but not that Jason, I don't think. <clears throat> it just says, he, uh, Jason's here, I think I speak for us all. You've already mentioned this, Shane. Any plans to make any more series or films of This Is England? I really miss those characters and often wonder how they might have got on through the 90s and beyond. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, there's definitely one more. There's this, this is England Millennium that's up my sleeve. Um, and um, 
again, with all of these things, you know, you kind of go where the universe guides you a little bit and things take so long and people move from, you know, people who are running at Channel 4 move to be, people move all over the place, but there's a lovely final series and it's a bit like Ross and Rachel, it's never off the table. Um, so, uh, but yeah, th th there's a few ideas left there, but I, I, there's no immediate plans to carry them forth, but... Uh, you know, it could happen, definitely. Sophie, what do, you, what do we see you in next after Gallows Pole? Oh, God, that's like the family, family Christmas question. And I'm always <laughs> like, I don't know, just this. This is really good. Um, I don't know. I don't have a clue what I'm doing next, but I'm really excited about this. Uh, it occurs to me, Shane, we actually haven't said when this is on and when people can see this. So it'll be on television weekly, but I think from Wednesday night, I think how they do it, when it finishes at 10 o'clock on BBC next Wednesday, you can watch all of them. And it's a nice way to watch it, actually, because it, it's almost like a three-hour film sliced into a cake. Um, so, uh, you know, I, th I think it's, it's one that you can watch back-to-back. -back. It flows quite nicely, hopefully. And as a primer, is there anything you want to tell the audience before they see it? Uh, yeah, the, there's a few. The, no one says microwave or DVD, but there's the language... Because when you do an improvisation... You want speed of thought, you want people to be able to react really quickly, and so if they're trying to do this kind of... We met about five historians who all five of them told us different things about how people spoke, and so we decided to go not completely adhere to the um, what you've seen with Dame Maggie Smith and stuff like that. We, we've kind of gone our own way with it. We're not taking the rip out of it. It looks and feels like a period piece, but, but with a bit of a twist. I yeah. can just imagine that when it goes out, it's going to go, and now the new series by Shane Meadows, which includes strong language from the outset. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. There's definitely a few. There's a lot of that. Uh, <laughs> Shane Meadows, Sophie McSherry, thank you very much indeed for coming down today. You can get to the... Page 10, Mark. Uh, we were just talking about Gallows Poll uh, with our top guests. Give us your... I mean, I know you loved it. I know we both loved it, but just give us your thoughts on so that. So here's the interesting thing. So, um, as uh, Shane was saying, so it's three episodes, three pretty much one-hour episodes. You can watch it all as a single movie. It's a really interesting story. Uh, it's the, the way in which everything feels like it's improvised, but it's also kind of very theatrically done. There are these visions of, you know, horned beasts and all the rest of it. Anyway, it's terrifically entertaining. And the performances are great, and the use of music is fantastic. I mean, right from the beginning with the, you know, the title sequence, you can tell it's got a real kind of music... Have I annoyed you? <laughs> oh, fine. You can tell it's got a real musical feel to it, and then when they actually do the songs in the middle of the scenes, it's beautiful. That's the end of the evening. This has been a Sony Music Entertainment production. The team was Lily Hamley, Ryan O'Meara, Sancho Panza, Paul Brogdon, Michael Dale, Archon Mohil, and Ben Como was on the organ. Sorry, Ben, I got that wrong. Ben Como was on the organ. Hannah Talbot was the producer. Simon Paul was the redactor. There he is. Give him a boo. <laughs> Mark, what is your film of the week? Oh, uh... Uh, That's what you're here for. It's literally what you're yeah. here for. Gallows Pole. It's a TV show. That'll do. Thank you very much indeed for listening. Our extra takes will be with you very shortly. We appreciate you coming down to the Union Chapel in Showbiz North London. Thank you for coming and good night. Mark Carbone. David Mel. The team. Thank you.